0: there. I'm Vicki Howell. Welcome to the Crafters Podcast, episode 32. This episode is brought to you by Maker's Mercantile. Maker's Mercantile is a space for fueling your creativity, inspiring you to make using any medium you feel passionate about. And so whether you're a knitter or a crochet or a sewist, dyer, weaver, I think you get my drift. Maker's Mercantile has all of the supplies and inspiration you need to get started on your next project. So head on over to makersmercantile.com and use code VICKI10 for 10% off your next purchase. Recently, I sat down with artist and digital quilt designer Libs Elliott. Libs uses digital code to concept geometric patterns, which she then translates into extraordinarily modern and graphic quilts. She and I talked about her process, how her background in photography and advertising applies to her quilt business, and how she aims to preserve craftsmanship while embracing technology. She's crazy talented and seems, I don't know, just cool. Let's meet her now. Lives Elliot, thank you so much for being on Craftish.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I want to dive in and talk about just quilts in general, but Modern heirlooms and the idea of modern heirlooms, which you write about on your site, is something that I really spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, working in the knitting and crochet industry and about how so long, for so long we've kind of, or for at least a generation, we kind of lost out on the whole heirloom thing, um, partly as that wave of feminism um, sort of meant stepping away from handicraft um, and and in part because of, you know, fast fashion and um, mass production. Um, mm-hmm. But specifically for you, Quilts, for your genre at least, quilts have always been so deeply rooted in tradition and have sort of both figuratively and literally documented history, but up until now that's been, you know, that's been really by embroidering dates on things or, you know, doing piecework that maybe shows escape or scene, but you work with digital code and processing, and So I want to talk a little bit about, well, first of all, I would love if you explain to everyone um, what processing is and how you work. And then as sort of a secondary topic, if you would talk about how that translates into documenting history for the future generations that will, you know, find your quilts in the crafty wild.
1: Whoa, that's cool. That's a loaded. (laughs) Too much, too soon? (laughs) No,
0: no, not at all. Um,
1: Okay, part one. Um, Yes, I use a programming language called processing. Um, It's a visual language. Uh, I'm not uh, a programmer or coder. This is just a piece of uh, code that um, I got from a friend who is who's a digital artist um and he worked on it with me we worked on a collaboration and so he handed the code over for to me so that i could continue using it and so i did start to get to know uh more about uh processing as a as a programming language and i got more interested in the whole idea of of taking something that's digital uh and making it into something that's physical uh so i have this piece of code that i use to um randomly generate visual graphics. Um, I start with a base of uh, different, what would be, you know, pretty straightforward geometric quilt blocks, Uh, and I define uh, what colors I'd like to use and fill those shapes with on screen, Um, and any ways I'd like to rotate those shapes, how big I'd like them to be, Um, and then So I do that all in this raw piece of code, and then you run the program. And when you run the program, it serves up uh, a random, uh, a random image of all those shapes uh, on a grid. Um, And it's totally it's once you when you run it, it does it once. And if you shut that image down, it's gone. It'll never serve up the same. Uh, the same composition again
0: is it just translating it differently like is it almost translating it in different languages is that why it wouldn't present the same image in the same way
1: uh I guess in a way it's it's just taking all the information you've given it and serving it up it's like rolling the die Mm -hmm. it's like a a, yeah so it's uh it's just taking all the bits that you are you're putting into it and, and it's randomly organizing it so it would come up differently it'd be like pulling numbers in a lottery it's going to be different every single time right it's going to be really difficult to get the same number twice
0: right yeah so So you (laughs) so so you feed this information and did somebody build this program for you or build the code the initial code at least for you yes
1: so um joshua davis who is a digital artist um I have been friends with him for probably 15 years, um, and I was really influenced by the work he was doing. And I reached out to him, and I said, you know, I'm making quilts. I just started sewing quilts at the time. I said, I'm making quilts, and I really love, you know, the work you've been doing lately. And I'd love if you could give me something that would help me make random patterns more quickly than what I'm doing, which is using graph paper And pencil crayons Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you could help me out with this this would be great and it would be really interesting to take something that is digital and I would make it into something that's this physical permanent uh piece of art so we started out we did one quilt together and then I got hooked on it and I said do you mind if I keep doing this and he said no go for it so yeah so it was pretty that's how it started and I often now, I use that piece of code just sort of as a stepping off point, as a, like a, a starting point for where the quilt may not necessarily end up the way the initial image looks, the digital image. Um, I'll play with it further in Illustrator, uh, and I'll tweak it more, and then I'll go from there.
0: So how how will that translate into history? If somebody's looking at this, you know, in a, in a hundred years, in the same way that we can look at a quilt from a hundred years ago and say, okay, this woman clearly lived on a plantation or this woman, you know, was clearly, you know, more well off because of the materials she used or, or whatever it is.
1: Um, you know, I think that we're at this really interesting point, at least when I started doing this, which was maybe, I guess, four years ago or so, people were just starting to make that connection between um, technology and craft, uh, and how we can leverage technology to create clothes, fabrics, um, you know, home goods. Um, so I think it will fall into that sort of category, you know, where its technology has become one of the core tools that we use to design.
0: So it'll be more of a representation of where we were technologically rather than them looking and say, uh, you know, being able to read the math, saying, oh, this is clearly the story of XYZ.
1: Probably, probably. I mean, there's a deeper meaning to some of it for me when I'm just, when I'm using this code and I've got this, um, and I've got a digital render that I've made with the code, when I do translate it directly into a quilt, I like the idea that I've grabbed this digital Snapshot that's not going to be repeated again. That otherwise would just be, you know, end up somewhere in the ether. Um, and I've taken it and put it into, made it into something physical. Um, mm-hmm. So I like the idea of recording something like that. Um, but I don't know if people are ultimately going to look at the quilt and and see it that way.
0: Does code itself stimulate any kind of creativity for you personally? I it does I can I mean that that
1: piece of code that I use I I mean I can just use it in so many ways I'm still using the same thing four years later um and coming up with so many uh visually so many different um pieces and but it's also a big challenge for me it's not something that comes naturally to me um so it really pushes you to learn something new and use both your left and right brain (laughs) you know that's what's interesting about it you're not just at least for me i'm not just because i'm still learning how to actually write code um i'm not just focused on my right brain creative we let's go so there is this sort of challenge of okay no first i need to figure out like problem solve and then i get to enjoy the results
0: right so it's interesting, a lot of your pieces are, are pretty much everything that I've seen, like the shapes that are created. There's a lot of triangles, maybe some trapezoids, but mm-hmm. there are very few hexagons and I don't think I saw any circles. Is that, no circles. Is <laughs> that, are you just anti-circle? Or is that, is that specifically, is that just specifically like related to the type of code you're working with?
1: No, not at all. Um, you know, I just got really into the triangles Um, I really wanted to resolve okay how how quickly and how well can I make all these these angular blocks Um, Mm -hmm. I have done renders using circles and curves um, and I'm about to embark this next week I guess um, I'm about to embark on making a a quilt that uses quite a few curves in it so you'll see that this spring I can't really talk about it too Mm -hmm. much because it's a secret project but uh yeah so it's more of like a oh god now i have to sew curves because curves oh. are
0: that yeah as a side note yeah. quilting circles is a nightmare <laughs>
1: digitally no problem sewing right. curves right I oh i have to sign up for a class
0: no, <laughs> I, can, I can handle <laughs> hey, it i heard you but. teach a class on Co. Maybe yeah. not circles, but... Yeah, no, it was like a
1: beginner's quilting class, yeah. You
0: know, I was just there uh, teaching a beginner's knitting class, and I saw your quilt. Um, they brought it out for me, and I was like, I kind of think I should take it home with me to put it in my house. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was really great. Thanks. It was, really it great. was fun. When... Uh, what, what statement, if if any at all, are you are you trying to make, sort of blending, I guess what I'm going to call a hard art with a soft art? mm. And don't you know, feel I'm just, pressured if you're not. If you're just I'm like, I just not. think they're cool I'm together. I'm just trying but.
1: to open it up to new possibilities, taking something that does have uh, that is deeply rooted in tradition, um, and very much so in you know uh, women's history and tradition, and bringing it forward and keeping it relevant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, part of it is also when I'm teaching and I show groups of mostly women, um, but not all, but mostly women who are uh, in these audiences and groups and I'm showing them how I'm using code. There are a lot of, it's great to see that there are a lot of women who are actually already, they are programmers. Uh, When I was in um, Seattle, there were people who had been working for, who worked for NASA and, you know, like, um, so it's great to have those women there who say, yes, yes, like this makes sense. This is a mathematical, uh, yeah, it's a mathematical craft. Um, But also aesthetically, I want to show people that quilting is more than just what they think it is or what they think of it. So um, in a traditional sense.
0: Well, from an outsider's perspective, it seems to me that, you know, there's, there's still and maybe will always be the general perception of quilting as a quote-unquote as quote-unquote women's work Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately we're still at a place in history where science and technology are still outweighed with men you know as a male Mm -hmm. you know occupation and fascination and merging the two makes a little bit of a statement about progress
1: yeah and it's funny because it's it's not even and I'm I am literally I guess I'm I'm merging the two by using you know starting out by using code but I think I'm also bringing to the forefront the fact that hey there are all these women who knit who weave who sew and those are all math-based crafts yeah yeah even the women who are doing it aren't necessarily I mean you might be a fantastic knitter and never have consider the fact that you're you're programming when you are using a pattern or when you're writing a pattern um
0: you know that's so amazing that that you put it that way because i've never never considered i write patterns for a living i never considered the programming aspect of it i which is absolutely accurate now that you say that and kind of you just blew my mind but (laughs) but what i have said because math is a challenge for me what i Mm -hmm. have said is that if i had been taught algebra via knitting and ge- or crochet and geometry via quilting. I probably would have had a totally different educational experience.
1: Me too. My marks would have been so much better <laughs> if absolutely I had, if that had been taught to me. So it's a it's a. I am starting to sort of make this statement. Like maybe this is where we need to get girls involved. Not just, I mean, there's so many fantastic programs now for you know girls learning code and um, girls who code. There's. Um, and I think that they do, I mean, I've done a few classes with uh, groups of younger girls, and I think that helps them to bridge that gap between the purely left brain side of math activities and and tactile, physical, you know, crafting activities. You bring those two together and it a light bulb goes off, I think, for them
0: yeah, if there can be a physical representation of something that's more abstract, mm-hmm. it makes sense that it would be easier to grasp. And if you're also adding, you know, now, I don't know about your kids, but my my littlest is, you know, she loves her the minecraft. and if i can if I can expose her to coding via Minecraft or taking a step further in our crafty realm, quilting. Yeah. To make it look like, which is would translate easily because it's all eight bit. Mm-hmm. Then you're both feeding the science and technology portions of their brain, but also the creativity portions because a lot of that exactly. gets, in our school programs, the arts and craft program. I don't know about it in Canada, but in the U.S., they're all but dwindled.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and so yeah. the so so getting kids interested and in really you know just just as hard as we're working to get kids interested in math and science. I believe we need to be continue to get them interested in arts and crafts. Yeah. And so this is a lovely way to sort of merge them both and make them feel relevant and interesting, I think, to that sort of younger generation.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the other, the other bonus of doing those crafts is also the, the fine motor skills, too, right? Because you find, yeah. at least in our schools, um, kids aren't learning cursive. Um, they're not coloring as much. They're more as much more keyboard focused. So if you get them also, actually physically making crafts, they're they're improving their fine motor skills. So that's a bonus too. Um, Yeah. So it's kind of and it's fun. This month I'm teaching my son's class. It's all boys. I think there's six six boys in the class, and we are we're doing Minecraft. We're going to do Minecraft quilts, and the point is going to be um, learning how to map out a graph and find coordinates on graphs and yeah, it'll be, it'll be Oh, fun. I love
0: that. I hope you'll blog yeah. that so I can share it with Yeah, my I think dot- I might, runner. and I might even, like, set up,
1: like, here are the steps we did and work with the teachers so that I could post something for other, for teachers to download and use in their classrooms. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you go, if you go further and want to have them sign releases, you could even do, you know, Facebook live stream or so. I just think parents would just be so interested in... And seeing something like that, even if they even yeah. if they're not quilters, because you can do the same thing with duct tape, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And it's this wonderful math lesson, but also, you know, you're actually creating something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll, that'll be fun. Did um, were you crafty when you were a kid?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, I was definitely um, like the artist kind of kid. I was always drawing always making stuff. Um, my parents were both, at the time, my dad was a teacher early on, but he's an antique dealer now. Um, my mom was a teacher. So it was, and it was always, you know, it was typical 70s, 80s growing up where you had like a TV, you're allowed to watch two hours. Right. <laughs> two
0: hours on the. But Saturday. there wasn't much on and, it uh, then anyway. No, there wasn't anyway. Yeah.
1: So, you know, what are you going to do with your time? You're going to sit around with, you know, tinfoil and duct tape and, Crayon, crayons, and yeah. So definitely, I was very creative.
0: And was that nurtured in your household?
1: Yes, it was very much encouraged. Yeah.
0: And then you ended up going to to art school after after all, correct? And and your major was in um, photography and material arts or design yeah. or all three.
1: Uh, material arts. So really, it was like weaving um, and natural dyeing and photography. So, there's that photography, but again, I was always fascinated with photography, and at the time, it was still traditional photography, so learning how to um, process 35-millimeter uh, film and, and actually expose photographs in a dark darkroom, um, so it was still really hands-on. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, so I, I did that for a few years, and then I went to university and got a degree in cultural studies. And then I got into advertising because that makes sense.
0: I <laughs> Not mean, at all. It really does. <laughs> but well, you know, you know what? Though I mean, this is a constant theme of of this particular the the series of conversations I've had through this podcast is is how eclectic um, most creative types, you know, life experience resumes are, mm-hmm. and how if you step back, they do ultimately make sense. Yeah, it kind of
1: does because there's this, I think there's this inherent inquisitiveness when you're creative to want to learn more and learn about everything and try a little bit of everything. And so it's really hard to stay focused on, like, I'm just going to weave. No, I'm going to weave and I'm going to do photography and I want to learn how to do life drawing and then I'm going to get into advertising. Like, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Although arguably, I mean, I would imagine that the way that you step back and look at things... <laughs> is often through your photographer's eye or the way that you, you know, sketch out what's going to be a quilt lends itself to, you know, drawings you're doing as a kid. And furthermore, where we are now as independent artists working in advertising, I I have to assume that the experience you got there is pretty applicable and maybe even gives you uh, you know a foot forward in where we have to be now with marketing ourselves in a way that was never a thing for artists yeah that's
1: true yeah definitely and advertising being in that industry I mean um, that was that I got into it because I thought well I don't think I'm gonna have a job be an artist so I might as well get a job job at least if I'm working in advertising I'm working with creative people so that was sort of um, how I got exposed to all these people who were like Josh Davis, who were uh, coding, whether they it was at the point too where websites were really becoming <laughs> this makes me sound ancient, but but web presence for companies was becoming huge, so there was this big boom, so there was a lot of work and a lot of Programmers, and coders, and creatives working together to build these massive sites for big companies, and um, and meanwhile, there are people like Josh who would would were taking code and actually making art with it. Um, so I, that's how I got exposed to all these different people and these different the two sides: the creative side and the and the back end code side. So
0: yeah. Although you say it makes you sound ancient, but on but it really hasn't been that long. No, I it mean, hasn't
1: been that long. It's been like maybe 15 years right like 2000 is when is I think when I got my first job and yeah and And most people didn't
0: have websites then I mean I had these little handmade quote-unquote businesses in the loosest of terms Mm -hmm. and around like I don't know maybe like 2001 2000 and there were literally 10 sites craft sites (laughs) yeah that was it I know yeah um um, that, and that's not that that long ago in the grand scheme of thing. I mean, we're still in the wild west of the interwebs. It is, yeah. And it's changed so much
1: since then. Now everything's moved to social, and yeah, it's a whole new whole new world.
0: Has has your you know photography degree influenced the way that you approach things like your Instagram feed?
1: Um, yeah, a bit. And I find more and more, you, I realize, like, okay, no, I can't. I have to. Try harder at taking good photographs. They really, It really does make a huge difference uh, in marketing yourself and your work. Um, so I may be outside snapping a whole bunch of photos, but then I really have to put the effort into photographing my work properly if I'm going to put it on my website especially or even on Instagram now. So yeah. Makes a big difference.
0: Were there any takeaways from working in the ad world that you think are applicable to today's new media marketing? At all, at least for you personally?
1: Takeaways? You mean like, hmm.
0: You know, just things that you might have learned about marketing in general that although, you know, don't directly apply anymore because marketing in in many ways is so different than it was even a decade ago but just the general sort of maybe there are just some baseline rules that apply you know straight away
1: yeah I mean I I guess the number one right now is visuals right having strong uh, strong having a strong visual presence Um, it's funny because I started when I started on Instagram and and even Twitter, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize it would grow to this point where it's gone from being a personal account to, yeah, essentially, it's a business account, right? I am a business. So, but I started out just as an individual on Instagram. So, and was Do there I- a
0: weird translation time for you between, like, photos of your kids to, oh, wait, my, my gallery doesn't look great. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, oh, wait, every time I post a selfie, I lose followers or, like, a, po- a photo of my dog. Yeah. yeah. And it was sort of like, oh, wait, now I need to I need to rethink how I'm going about doing this, <laughs> you know, which is awful that I don't get to just post pictures of my kids and I should probably have a second, you know get that out on Facebook, I guess.
0: Yeah. And then I'll uh, get something else to do if you have yeah. if you have another one. I've noticed, interestingly enough, though, that you're one of the few um, artists and crafters with websites that really doesn't promote through your website that you have other social accounts. Is that a – what's the reasoning behind that, if any at all?
1: Um, I just, you know, I wanted to have my website as um, – more of a portfolio initially Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i'm still trying to figure out where i fit i'm still trying to figure out well like i have taken um i have done design week a few times both in toronto and new york city well is design something i and i'm when i speak about design i mean like interior design and uh, product production um is that something i really want to focus on and if so My website needs to sort of reflect that and keep it like I'm marketing to both interior designers and decorators, Mm -hmm. but then I'm also marketing to a completely different group, which are crafters, right? And people who who make. So there are these sort of two different groups that I'm trying to market to. So on my website, yeah, it's become more of a portfolio initially. Um, And then, you know, I have the store and all the different workshops that I do and everything listed sort of as a secondary peace
0: we talked about you as a child being creative what about um your own children are you how how are you infusing creativity into your into your household
1: uh i i encourage them i have paper everywhere all the time and markers and um i i let them sew my son isn't so much into sewing like i've said come up here we're going to do this together you sit down and i'm going to show you how to use this machine and he's done it and he's like oh that's cool Um, and i'm going to do this class with his with his class Mm -hmm. with the minecraft quilt so that'll be neat um and he's 10 so he is fully into video games and minecraft and um being online more than more than uh, drawing and things, although he's got a really creative mind for writing stories. So if that's his focus, then hey, let's let's work together and and I let him record his stories and write down his stories um, with my daughter. She's like she's five, so fun age. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but no, she's, uh, and she loves to sew, like she's just, what are we going to make now? Let's make a dress, let's make it, and it's never something, I was like, let's make a pillowcase, can we, that's just a square, that'll be so much easier.
0: Um, Is she on the machine with you?
1: Yeah, and it's great because I do have a little Janome machine, but then I also have my big machine, which has a speed control which is fantastic because you can just put it to the lowest speed and then it's not overwhelming. I set the pedal up on a box and she'll just sit and she yeah. can play away. So and she loves pulling out all the fabrics and making a mess with those too. So. You know
0: what's so fun about that age? I had a I don't know if you know the textile designer Tula Pink, um, mm-hmm. but I had a conversation with her on this podcast and we were talking about like the the joy. The joy of being able to design whatever it is, clothing or whatever, when you're in that age range, doll clothes, when you can just lay a piece down and trace around it and then sew it, and then how that gets shattered when you get old enough where you realize that you have hips. Yeah, like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) dart. Like, oh, you can't just, where you're more than, you know, where you're three-dimensional. Yeah, yeah.
1: But the other thing I love about kids, and I love about working with kids, um, and being creative with kids is that they don't hold back. Even just coloring, they're like, I'm going to make this, this cat is going to be blue with purple dots. And you're like, yeah, go for it. You know, like just, there's no, they haven't set any boundaries yet, or they don't hold nothing. Not everything has to be symmetrical and perfect. It's no, I'm just gonna, I'm doing this. It's just every, you know.
0: What's interesting about that, Two is that it's only been over the last handful of years where teachers have started encouraging that. I have um, kind of a wide range of kids. And so my oldest son is 17. And when he was five, he wanted to, I had, I had to go in and talk to his kindergarten teacher because she said that he wanted to color this person green and that wasn't what was required for this project. And I kind of, you know, as kindly as I could (laughs) let her have it (laughs) about what she was doing to this kid's creativity but interestingly enough and I don't know if there's any direct line to this at all this was also during the time where they weren't allowed to color their hair to go to school I sent them Uh to school with blue hair once and it was like a whole discussion about being distracted and Uh um, now you know my seven-year-old daughter regularly goes to school with pink hair I mean I'm her mother even I have you know, yeah. a, blue, a blue piece in her hair, like it's not considered a thing anymore. Yeah. And they're also, I've never had to have a conversation with any of her teachers about what she's allowed to, you know, her coloring yep. outside of the lines. So it's an interesting societal societal shift. And I wonder if it's because of social media, if it's because of all these visuals that we're getting, that there's sort of some license to be, some license to self-express that there wasn't there before because there also weren't all of these examples that our parents and grandparents could see of the results of creativity
1: yeah that's true and I think a lot of us were held back like at least in school I wasn't necessarily allowed to I mean my parents encouraged my creativity not they had limits like as soon as I started dyeing my hair it was very upsetting and don't like the tattoos like I still feel like they're gonna they want to ground me when they see me, and mm-hmm. I'm in my 40s, and there's, they still look at me like, oh, why would you do that? Um, but I think maybe because it, there was a generation that was held back, and we had much more strict upbringing in school, and now we have kids, and I'm like, I'm not putting up with that. My kids are going to go to school with you know, temporary tattoos if they want to in kindergarten, and that's the way it is. So, yeah, I think teachers are letting them, allowing them more... To explore more than we were allowed to in school. At least me, I went to Catholic school, so it was pretty
0: strict. Yeah, that's core. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. as a side note to something you referenced earlier about uh, about how schools aren't teaching cursive anymore, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, here in the states, and actually I think it's, it's actually, I think state-regulated and not federal anyway, but at least, yeah. so I live in Texas, I live in Austin, and mm-hmm. um, there's a period – I think they're back on to teaching it. It's It goes on and off, and I have yeah, so – Yeah, I
1: don't know the state. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure – like, I don't know the state of it here either, but I know my son is in grade five,
0: and he's never – He's never had it. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah. So, my oldest son did learn cursive. Mm-hmm. My middle child, who's two years younger than, than he is, he was the year they took it off. So, he didn't learn, and then they started the year after, and they oh. never picked up. So – but it, but here's the kicker so you know people have feelings one way or the other about it being a lost art and about how it's yeah. value in reading historical documents and that kind of thing but what i think has not been explored enough well other than how if at all it's a, it's affecting the creative side and that sort of like license to let your pen or pencil flow the practical side is is that my teenage son did not know how to sign his name
1: I know, this is the thing. That's what my mother is saying. She's like, how are they going to sign their names? I was well, like, well,
0: I don't I think missed, that that will be a... It is, a, <laughs> it's an issue. No, it's an issue. I guess it, it is. And I felt it was such a moment of parenting fail. I was expecting a, an important work package, and it had to be signed for, and I didn't realize that. And he was oh. the only one home, and he didn't know what to do. And this oh. was, he was a new teenager. This was a couple years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. And I was mortified, mortified that he... Had been sort of left to the wolves, mortified that I had never caught that before, and I sat him down, and you know he was unamused with the fact that I have like these, you know, third grade level like sheets out, and I said, "Look, you don't have to learn all of it, but you've got to learn how to sign your name. Like this yeah. is not okay." And then yeah. no, and then no, it doesn't have to look like this. We'll add our flair after it. But at, and he was grumble, grumble, grumble. But then later, you know a year later we go to get his bank account when he really had, or maybe it was only months later, to be honest with you, he had to get mm-hmm. his first bank account and he had to sign and you could see, he looked at me with this like feeling of relief.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, thank goodness I can do this.
0: Yeah. And so, Something you know, what so seems basic, like, what seems but- il- irre- or irrelevant because maybe we're all on keyboards now, really there's sort of like these, there, there are much bigger, bigger um, implications to it. And perhaps mm-hmm. in, 20 years, we'll all only be signing with our fingerprint anyways. Who knows? Yeah, But but I think that we as a society, we need to look at it. We need to take a step back, both as artists, because I think that cursive is sort of a gateway into letting your pen flow. But then Mm -hmm. it's just from a practical perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You, along with using processing, have also experimented with other sort of forms of science and crafting. I read on, I think this was maybe three years ago, you teamed up with a company called Hot Pot Factory and experimented with laser cutting um, fabric, Mm -hmm. which was amazing to watch. And I was wondering if you did anything more with it in the years since then, and if you think that this is sort of, is this going to be like a reality for main our mainstream crafting future. Do you think that people, you know, do you think that Simplicity will be putting out like a mini laser cut cutter for quilters, you know, in the next decade?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. I think they will. There's already the Brother is it Brother Scan and Cut. So Brother is has that laser
0: cutting or is that die it, cutting?
1: It's I don't think it's a die. It's not a laser, but it's a, I think it's a little blade, right, that cuts. Okay. But there's that aspect, the fact that you can take any drawing that you've made, a digital drawing, and the machine will cut it. That's pretty cool. I think that's what the Scan and Cut does. There's another, I forget what the other ones, oh, the silhouette, that does the same sort of thing. And that's using a blade, but it's still better than using scissors, right? I mean, sure. I don't know. sure, sure, sure. Um, I haven't done any more laser cutting of fabric. Um, I have seen more and more, um, there are companies now popping up who are laser cutting out uh, paper piecing pieces, right? That Mm -hmm. makes absolute sense. Um, A lot of companies using lasers to uh, make uh, specialty rulers for crafters. it's all just sort of popping up now. All these different ways. Yeah. Lasers.
0: Have you seen all that? Like especially for um, on wood, laser cut wood. Um, yeah. You're seeing a lot of looms, like yep. flat weaving looms that are being done. Um, I yeah. got a really cool kit the other day that it had been laser cut, um, and it was a loom. But within it, the pieces hadn't been pushed out. There was also the um, comb that you'd use for weaving and oh, a and tapestry needle. In. It's all built in and then you just yeah. you punch it out like you would a paper doll.
1: I know. I saw those. They're, they're cool. It's so fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I love yeah. that and I have myself racking my brain of how I can apply that to what I do and um, yeah. so it's going to be really fun to see how, how that moves forward. Happen. Do you do you do all of your piecing and then all of your actual quilting yourself or do you have somebody that you work with?
1: Um, I work... Uh, So, I have a lot of commissions, not a lot of commissions, I have commissions come in. When I have a commission, I do all the cutting and piecing, um, and I'll either quilt it myself, or now I will send them out to be quilted if I just, based on time. Um, But because I'm also now designing fabrics, um, I design for Andover, and every time you have a collection, you also have to have quilts and patterns Mm -hmm. to go with that collection, Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, right now it's quite busy for me. So I will sort of reach out and I'll just reach out on Instagram and say, does anyone want to help me piece a quilt? I'll send you all the pieces or I'll send you all the fabric. You piece it for me, send it back. I'll get someone else to long arm it and I'll pay you to help me. And, or I'll pay you in fabric or however. And, you know, that's been, that's a huge help. Um, It helps to promote uh, all my fabrics and it, it allows me the time to focus on also getting custom commissions yeah. out the door
0: so and, and i would right imagine that. that your community is thrilled to be a part of the process
1: yeah it's really and it's it's really nice i, I get a lot when I post, I think, like, as a, not jokingly, but I sort of said, oh, my new fabric line's arrived, who wants to help, ha ha. And then I got, like, 60 messages on Instagram, like, I'll help, I'll help. I'm like, okay, well, you need to email me, tell me where you live, Yeah, you know, make a list. And I do keep a big list of of other women, mostly in the States and some in Canada, who who just want to help out, who just want to make a pattern or help me sew or, so it's it's great. And if it's someone who's... Um, you know, starting their own business even, or yeah. say they're a stay-at-home mom and they could use a, a bit of money, then if I can pay them to help me, then that's great. Then I'm helping somebody else. And
0: are there standard rates in the quilting world? This is a common, this is a common discussion in sort of the fiber no arts. Yeah. idea.
1: I have no idea. And I wish that we were more open about what rate, like not just rates for things like piecing, but you know what should be a standard rate for teaching or for yeah. lecturing, and yeah, I wish
0: there was more discussion
1: about that. I think people are starting to get more open about it.
0: I think uh, the Craft Industry Alliance is really stri- striving to work towards mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm myself. I'm trying to work towards getting a seal, uh, like a seal of approval, kind of thing for that just to, know, to help educate the consumers, because I think a lot of the, the companies feel a little bit, especially publishers, feel challenged by trying to, you know, state any unequivocal pricing for, you know, the worry is losing that's advertisers that. kind of thing. But I think that a lot of, I think that consumers don't really know the difference between a free pattern on Mary Jo's blog versus a pattern, and I'm just speaking in my own world, a pattern that's been, you know, Beautifully photographed, tech edited, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, scaled if it's needed to be, whatever, you know. And the designer has been paid a fair wage either by a Mm -hmm. company so they're able to give it to you for free but they've been paid. Right, yeah. Or they've chosen to sell it themselves for a minimum, you know, rate. And I think that if we we all start talking about it in a way – that isn't burning bridges with the companies that employ us Exactly so that we can, um, that we can sort of get the community engaged. Because as you say, if you've got 60 people jumping in off of one Instagram post wanting to help, that's an amazing opportunity to also educate for what, for the worth that's involved in working in handicrafts because handicrafts, you know, aren't seen as v- as valuable as right. other types of manufactured um, goods and mm-hmm. so it's it's a lovely way and so often the people that volunteer or at least with me speaking for myself only say oh, oh no no no, you're paying me too much or oh no I couldn't take anything for it or, and as nice as that would be as a business person to not have the expense like us yeah. as, I feel like we as women like need to in a way educate them to say like even if you can't afford to pay them whatever this livable wage is, which none of us have been able to define in the craft world, at yeah. least say, "This is what I have to for what I can afford to pay you." Yep. And you should only accept it if it works for you, and there's no hard feelings if it doesn't. Kind exactly.
1: Of I want to give you something. It's yes. funny how many people just say, "I'll make it," and all the and they're fi- like, "I'm fine with just fabric." <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, that's great. Here's a whole yeah. bunch of fabric. Keep it." Um. But I. I want people to be aware that they should be saying, "Yes, I can do this. this is a skill that I have. you need me to help you out I you know I would like something for for it um, and yeah, again, it is like you don't want to step on any toes, uh, but all too often, there may be a magazine that reaches out or a group that reaches out to have you come on a TV show or something. And it's like, but it's expo- It's good exposure. You shouldn't have to work for exposure. I know I did, and I did it a few times. And then I got to a certain point where I said, I'm sorry, that's enough. I'm not going to do any more work for, mm-hmm. I'm not going to write a pattern and make a quilt and send it to you paying for the shipping and everything mm-hmm. and get paid $100 for that. No, that's not going to work for me anymore. So, and I don't, part of me sees the value. That's how I started out and yes i did get some exposure and yes that helped to build up my name but part of me feels like that's not it's also not fair it's taking advantage of people who are who are at that level who feel like they need exposure in order to get to the next step which is getting paid i
0: mean it is paying dues though i mean in any in any yeah. form of yeah. job you have to pay your dues you know you have to take that you know minimum wage job job as a teenager where you're, you know, peeling onions that you're allergic to, you know, just as you're, and you're crying, but you're, you know, you're paying your dues in the, in the same yeah. way. Now that translates today in, into blogging maybe for exposure, but the employers also need to know, like, they need to see that as, they need to have some sort of, like, gauge themselves to say this is a new blogger we're giving a chance so this is part of that program Mm -hmm. and not come to people who are who have a following who have years of experience and offer them that same deal it has to be seen more in my eyes as a program as a as an incentive program for new new people yeah because there is value there and and i also think there's value there's obvious value to the companies but there's there's value to the future generations to know what it's like to pay your dues.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to have to work to work for it or to work towards it. Yeah, for sure. But I just feel like you shouldn't have to do anything when it comes to, you know, writing patterns or designing or making. I don't you shouldn't you should at least be offered something other than just Absolutely. Ex- it's expected Absolutely. that this you're going to do this for free. So, I don't know.
0: Right. It just needs to be a lower rate or it needs to be or maybe it works out in, you know, we'll sponsor your next five posts wherever they are with products yeah. or whatever yeah. it is that Something. works for you. Um, and that's the important thing is that valuing yourself enough that you can take the deals that work for you. And then us as mm-hmm. a community being okay with the fact that the same thing isn't going to work for everyone and yeah. not judging each other. And it. not taking it personally. You're right. Not saying,
1: oh, that person's a diva because – she wanted to get paid for this or
0: whatever. You know, right, like, because we do ourselves just, the biggest disservice.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and there have been times when, you know, I've been approached to do something um, and it's not paid and I have, to, and and I just politely say, and it, I just say, I, I'm sorry, this is what I do for a living, so I need to get, I need you to pay me something because this is, I don't have an, an, another job. Yeah. Um, so, I try to explain that so that they don't think it's just that I'm <laughs> so isn't
0: it, it, but isn't isn't that, and I don't know if that's part of just what we do as women or if that's just what we do as artists or crafters or whatever, but isn't that for a lack of a more eloquent term, annoying that you should have to justify why you need to be paid for your work?
1: yeah, yes yeah it's annoying (laughs) yes and yes (laughs) yeah it doesn't happen that often so it's not
0: that it's not a big beef that I have no not with Um, you personally but I think it happens a lot over like the overarching and now it's more and more because we're sort of uh, I think that I don't think it's always companies you know being vindictive I think that there is this like massive need for content now and yeah everybody's trying to figure out how to make it work for everyone yeah, you know, and so we're still, you know, to ref- we referenced the Wild West earlier. Just we're still in that space. Yeah. Um, what What opportunities do you see uh, for us in the craft world for those who really embrace future focused applications of design and and craftsmanship, if any?
1: What opportunities do you yeah, see? Yeah. Hmm.
0: Because you've clearly embraced. You know, an opportunity that that not a lot of people have. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I think part, I think we're at this really interesting point in time where. Um, how would I explain it? We're cross pollinating with with other groups of people and other communities, and um, how can we? how can we take what we, our knowledge is and expose other people to it and blow their minds? Right. Like all I, I'm thinking, like what I've been doing was initially wasn't noticed by crafters. It wasn't noticed by quilters. It was noticed by like Gizmodo mm. and, um, people in the tech industry, mostly men, uh, again, again, because that's the state of technology right now. Um, but they were blown away that I would take something like programming and mix it with a craft that is mostly a woman-dominated um, community. And, and it just sort of blew their minds. Like, oh, this is a really cool way you're combining these things. So yeah. they wanted to know more about quilting. And, well, how do I actually make these quilts? And then the quilt groups want to know more about the technical side of, like, yeah, well, yeah. designing. Um, so you're sort of exposing completely different groups of people to new skills and new ways of approaching, approaching things. So really um, the
0: opportunity is just widening the reach.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think we've also seen uh, a lot of people using craft in political ways, mm-hmm. um, which it always has, you know, always has had a hand in that, but how can we use that to bring us closer together um, in groups to perhaps protest
0: we've um, definitely seen that recently them. yeah
1: yeah empower people um give them tools to get back to making things with their hands um yeah
0: and um in a ford canada video that you did last year yes which s- was
1: free i did it for free really for pleasure, yeah you know what it was a good friend of mine who was the creative director yeah. so and everybody who did those those videos did them for free so okay that's a separate topic
0: that's a yeah. separate conversation we could go down <laughs> um but in it you said I believe in making a mark and leaving a mark so I thought we'd end by you maybe just talking a little bit about what you hope your mark is
1: hmm Man, what do I hope my mark is?
0: You know, um, just a lightweight little question I thought I'd leave you with. Yeah, nothing big, <laughs> it's a big deal.
1: What mark do I want to leave? Uh, I I guess the mark that I want to leave is to oh is is um to take pride in and I talk about this I guess in one of my talks. Or in my talk is to take pride in making things with your hands, to never stop making, um, or to at least try. So, um, and to take pride in something you've made. I think as children, generally, uh, when we make something with our hands, it can be a scribble, and then your parents, everyone's all over you. Oh my God, look what you did! That's amazing. And as you get older, you you, you know you stop doing that, and you're not. There isn't as much. Um, People's telling you from the outside, but from the inside, you still feel really good when you've nailed that perfect meal, or you've finally made a pillowcase for the first time, or you know, you've built a birdhouse, <laughs> and you feel this really great sense of pride. And I don't think you can get that any other way than by using your hands. Um, and so I feel like, yeah, the the mark that I want to leave is to is for people to continue to see what I've made and to and to feel a drive to make things themselves, I think.
0: Well, Liz, I have really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking some time to come and be on this podcast. Thanks for having me for more information on Libs, to see some of her amazing work, and to enter to win a PDF bundle of three of her quilt patterns, just go to her show notes page at vickiehowell.com slash craftish. To enter, just post a comment letting us know if at all technology is a part of your own creativity. And pro tip, if you've ever done any searches on Pinterest or Instagram for some form of inspiration, chances are that technology is a part of your own creative process entries must be received by 10 p.m central on wednesday february 8th thanks again to our sponsor makers mercantile who who would love to give craftish listeners 10 percent off site-wide if you're like me you are always looking for that next great craft project so you might as well nab yourself some beautiful supplies and you can do that by going to makersmercantile.com and using code vicky10 at checkout Craftish is a Campbell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to Craftish um, or if this is your first time here, welcome and thanks for giving it a shot. If you have missed any of the previous 31 episodes, I hope that you'll go back and take a look. There have been so many amazing conversations with Really, people from all walks of creative life that I'm sure that you're bound to find at least one, if not a handful, of people that will inspire you. And then if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Word of mouth is key in the podcasting world. And if you also take time to give us a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be super extra swell and awesome. On next week's episode of Craftish, my guests will be spoken word artists and the first poet to have a poem named Download of the Week on iTunes. Cheyenne Van Cleef. Until next time, bust out that calendar and schedule some time, even if it's just 15 minutes, to do something creative. You've earned it, my friends. Breathe in, craft out.